be leading the service is staying back at the Haven because one of the guys is ill. So that means it's up to me to do it. And I've only really thought about it this morning. So thank God that it's, it's not up to me, it's up to him. And in his providence, that's the way he wanted it. Okay. So we've got a bit of a mixed bag. We've got uh, Eastgate's very own uh, Martin from Pollock. He's probably on the toilet just now. But we've got Alec from Barrafield. Uh, and we have Gus from Brazil. So there you go, Pollock, Barrafield and Brazil, right? You can't ask for more than that, can you? Uh, so does anybody in here know, know what the haven is and what we do? Good, right? That means I don't need to go into all that, right? So we all know what we do at the haven, but just a wee update, I suppose, as to you know, what's currently happening in the haven. You know, a bit of testimony from the ministry, so to speak, rather than just the individuals. So, the Scottish Government uh, last year had obviously seen that the, well, the pressure that was brought to bear on them for the, the drugs deaths in Scotland continue to rise and rise year upon year. And they had invested so much money in this Road to Recovery project, which obviously wasn't working. So, they made an announcement that they were going to invest £25 million pound and residential rehabs in order to uh, speed up the process from somebody presenting themselves uh, to doctors or you know, community drugs teams to get them into rehab pathways to rehab, or if uh, a service could uh, access the money to increase their capacity so the total number of beds in Scotland would be increased. So we thought to ourselves, right, there's all this money here. We are going to apply for some of it. We are rehab. Uh, we've been on the go for 25, 30 years uh, in one shape or form or another. So we could do with some extra beds. We could also do with, you know, a new dining room and a new kitchen because your dining room and kitchen was designed for 12 men. We've sometimes got 24 men. So it can be quite crowded, as I'm sure Arthur you appreciate and it's been there, it can be like that. So we put in, we got surveyors, we got architects, we got planning permission, all that kind of stuff, and we put in uh, an application for to try and get some funds off the government, but we end up getting nothing. <laughs> so we get nothing off them. Uh, and, you know, I got a wee verse at that time, and it was for Isaiah 31, and it's, woe to those who go to Egypt for help. You see, all that money comes at a cost. We don't give you money for nothing. And so you need to see God's hand in these kinds of things. And, and what happened was that once we get the knockback, the knockback for the, the, the application, funders started to come. Christian funders started to come. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> now, we didn't get the money that we put in for, but we got enough. No today... The, the eight beds and the full project we wanted, that'll just need to get put on hold just now. But God's been faithful, and it's like these people have just come, came from nowhere. Do you know what I mean? So we just need to see God's hand, and that's a real word of testimony that stuff like that happens because of prayer. And we really need your prayer, aye? Because it's prayer that's going to change these men's lives. 
Because the Scottish government, they don't, they're clutching at straws. They don't have the answer, right? They're flinging money at this rehab and that rehab and blah, blah, blah. But in the end, how much success will they have? Maybe some, not a lot, aye? In the end, it's futility. God has the answer, but God has the answer to addiction. He, know, he made us, he knows how to fix us. And so you're going to hear some testimony today from a couple of guys Martin and Alec, who will be able to articulate that from their own experience in their life and what that looks like and the practical, you know, day-to-day outworking of that. So I'm just going to, because Martin's very nervous. I've not seen him come back now, is he? Aye. <laughs> Martin's very nervous. And I actually got a report last night of Gus, you know, that, that Martin isn't feeling well. So I was thinking, he's pulling a sickie here because he's that nervous. Do you know what I mean? So I was glad when he got out of the van and he told me, no, no, I'm all right, I'm good to go. So a round of applause for Martin, please. Cheers, Andrew. I will thank God that I'm all right to be here. Um, I'm trying to think what you say. I brought up by a single parent. My mother, I'm one of eight, second youngest at the mall. Um, just try to do this quick so I won't get so much, so much time. Uh, sure. That'll be to 30 seconds then. Eh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, aye. So, uh, so, one eight. Uh, obviously, it was tough for my mom to bring us up. She was working. Times were hard, struggling. Obviously, me being the rebellious man out of the family, all the rest of them grew up, worked. I didn't. I decided to start drinking, taking drugs. Um, obviously, started. Petty crime, just shoplifting, then it got to stealing radios out of motors, then we thought it would take, why just take the radio, we can take the car as well. <laughs> so we decided then all that. Um, obviously when we drank, uh, didn't realise that was the start of my downward spiral. Uh, obviously been drinking for over 30 years. And just recently, obviously, the past year, whatever, I was really at a low. I was actually sitting in my house with a rope outside of my couch. I had my tree picked and obviously it was just a matter of time. I stopped taking my insulin for my diabetes. So at that point as well I thought I could go to my bed and hopefully went to a diabetic coma and no wake up. But Arthur, being Arthur, dragged me back to church and everything else. Um, glad they meant to that. Um, sitting here, um, obviously Arthur, Arthur, half a drink, half a drink, half a fag, half a fag, I said, aye, I will, I will. Never done that yet, but obviously God brought the haven in and basically says, there's your opportunity, Martin, take it or carry on. But obviously I took it and, uh, and if I hadn't taken it, I wouldn't be able to stand here and talk to you talk today. I wouldn't be able to be a feather to my kids. My kids wouldn't have their dad. Obviously just found out that I'm going to be a grander again. So, you know that great, it's going to cost my fortune. But um, I, be, for the work that God's done in my life for the past, about 11 months has been unbelievable. Obviously, death doors, um, grey, lost a lot of weight to new being, still work in progress still. Um, obviously, take your eyes off God. The devil jumps in, and he knows what I'm talking about. Um, the devil can jump in straight away. Uh, but I, that's nipped in the bud straight away, and obviously just, I'll focus on bouncing back for that wee blip I had uh, last week. But uh, apart from that, I so I just want to thank everybody for keeping their prayers as well in here as well. It's, it means a lot, especially for you as well. It's 
unbelievable what you've done, and uh, so I just want to thank you all. So thank you. Just so you know, he wasn't using drugs or having a drink or anything like that, that wee blip. Just so you know, it was something else in case he's a hunk. So uh, we had a graduation service there last week. And I'd actually forgot that last year, after you brought Martin, uh, and you know, it was like, I want to bring him because I want him to see, you know, what could happen in his life. And it's like, I can remember seeing him. I can remember sitting up the back week after week, you wouldn't be here every week, but every, every time you were here, Martin, and it's like, is this guy going to make it? This guy doesn't look, do you know what I mean? So, to see him now, you know, just a, a bit of meat on his bones and a, a, a bit of light in his eyes, it's really, it's really good to see. So, you know, the work at the Haven, uh, just touching on the graduation, there's times to celebrate, aye, and, and you know, we look at the men on the stage all polished, where they're suited and booted and all that kind of stuff, and it's a real encouraging time to, to be part of that, but that's not what it's like all through the year, it can be tough as well, do you know what I mean, because you're dealing with men's lives and, and the chaos that that brings, also when you have 15, 20 guys all living together, that brings its own chaos, because they're all living on top of each other, do you know what I mean? There's chaos in my house in the morning, just with me and my wife, do you know what I mean? There's only two is in the wing, do you know what I mean? And she's pointing and it's you, uh, mostly it is me, aye. So, I'm going to ask uh, Alec to come up just now. So Alec, is for Barrowfield, I've known Alec for a number of years. Uh, thanks, Andy. Um, it's always a pleasure to like, tell God's story, because it's no my story. It's actually God's story, how he will pursue somebody into the deepest, darkest night of their soul. And even when they've no go, um, any hope, he will lift them up and put them on a solid foundation. And um, that's the story that I'm going to tell today. Um, I'm, up, I'm for the East End in Glasgow, um, my man and dad, they, they were addicts, um, I didn't really think there was anything the matter with that, because if you had a man and dad in my scheme, you were the, you were the weird one, because you either had a man or you had a dad, you know what I mean, and um, that's, I just didn't know anything different, but I always grew up with a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety about going back into my house. Um, my man and I always had a lot of fighting. They had problems, my man and I, and um, I used to just bite my nails and I used to always compare myself to people in the scheme. Like, I wish I had wee Johnny's man and I down the road and I wished I had that tracky, that hat. I wished I was handsomer. I wished I was gamer. I wished I was better at fighting, better at football. So I just really didn't want to be inside my own skin. Uh, I, I just, but I learned to put mass on straight away. Like I get brought up with these um, values, like what happens in the house stays in the house. If you say what happens in the house, you're getting lettered, do you know what I mean? And um, I learned to keep my mouth shut very, very quickly in the scheme. I learned to just go about with the gangs and I started to get involved in whatever anybody else in the street. My pals were a lot older than me. I was looking for like a male role model. 
Do you know what I mean? Somebody to look up to, and um, I just went on an absolute life of cri criminality, addiction. I went like, through the cards with the drugs, and um, I was addicted to like, cocaine. That was like my love affair I had um, for like 12 years of my life. Um, I was also a, a, a heroin dealer. Um, I got involved with Lake Martin. I started graduating through criminality until I was really, really steeped in organised criminality. I was a full-time heroin dealer, cocaine as well. Um, I had a lot of money. I had a lot of access to sort of things. I could have went anywhere I wanted. I was always... My family never wanted for nothing because I bought into a lie when my man died. I used to be afraid of my mum would be at checkmen, know how to prove him in. Do you know him? So the door would go on a Friday like that. And my mum say, shh, tell the guy I'm no in. And I would go to the door and look, my mum's no in. And uh, what happened is, is my installed a financial insecurity in me. It also made me buy into a lie for the devil that if you got money, that everything would be okay, that all the problems would go away. If you were the skint, you could do what you wanted to do. But that was a lie. And I started to build my life on a faulty foundation. And that, that, that just propelled me onto a life of crime where I would have stepped there anybody to get a couple of quid. I didn't care. My motivation was to get a couple of quid, and it didn't matter what I did to get that couple of quid. And what happened is, is I started to be good to my ma, like get all the house all decorated. My ma wanted for nothing. But do you know what? I was absolutely... I, I was sucking things out of my community to be able to do that for my ma. My ma was having nervous breakdowns because the coppers would be coming through the door, left, right, and centre. I was away doing prison sentences. Um, and I still believed a lie that money would be able to change my life. And that took me on a, a journey. I was also addicted to cocaine. That took me to dark, dark places. Psychosis that happens when you're on cocaine. I used to think that um, people were outside my house. I was, I ended up getting involved in severe acts of violence on people because I thought things were happening to me. I just ended up in a dark, dark place. I had um, my wee boy. I had a wee boy, a wee sonny, um, and I loved my wee boy. I loved him. I used to wake up after being on binges and taking cocaine, and I used to, after prison sentences, I used to look in my wee boy's eye and say to my partner, I swear in that Wayne's life, I'm never using cocaine again. And see, with the tears rolling down my face, and I meant it with every single fibre of my being, I would get it together. Right, come on now, Alec. Get this done. Let's do this. Because deep down I had a desire to do the right thing. But I was also powerless to sin. I was also powerless over addiction and sin in my life. And the devil had so, so strong a hold on my life. And at five o'clock that night, after swearing on my wee boy's life, I would think it would be all right just to have a wee bit of cocaine. Because I would start to manoeuvre that I'll take the cocaine with sleeping tablets or I'll take the cocaine with alcohol. I tried every avenue to control and enjoy drugs. I used to remind myself, remember you were 16, you had one gram of coke and one bottle of butterfast, you went to bed at four in the morning. I bet Alec, now you've got 15 year experience, it tells you that you're an absolute crackpot on it. But I wouldn't think of the experiences, I would think about that one time where I managed to have a good night. And what happened is, is my life went on like that, on like that, on like that. My dad was a heroin addict and then 
he became a born again Christian. I was mortified by the way, man. I was like, oh, no. I asked him a shame. I wished my dad was back on smack. Do you know what I mean? Because anyway, he, he was a big guy and he came in with his tambourine and stuff. Me and my pals would all be sitting puffing and uh, my dad would be like, and I used to say, you're a, you're a Bible basher. Get out of my house. Right? And what happened is, is he started to take my wee boy Sonny when he was three year old down to this church, the Parkhead Nazarene down there. And what happened is, my wee boy got obsessed with worship music. He, he was obsessed with musical instruments and that, and he, he used to come back and he'd be like, Dad, Dad, will you come and see me playing in the worship band? I'd be like, aye, aye, I'll come, I'll sing, I'll dance for you, son. And it's Sunday morning, that wee boy would be at the foot of my bed, and I would let him down Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, just like year after year of his life, day after day when I'd be in prison sentences, missing his first steps, missing his first teeth, thinking that it's all right because I could just buy him what I wanted. I thought a good dad was to provide for your sons, but it wasn't. I could have bought him anything he wanted, but I couldn't sit in the flare with him and play with his Lego for two hours. And do you know what? I was like, let my boy down, let my boy down, let my boy down, and my wee boy, it came to his nativity play, and he was playing Joseph. So then my partner was like, you've been promising that Wayne for months that you're going to go down to that church and you're going down to that church. And I just went to see my Wayne playing in a nativity play and he was Joseph. And then all these mad Christians kept coming up to us like, well, oh, we've been praying for you and all that for years. I'm like, what? And then they're like, oh, Sonny, we absolutely love we Sonny and all that. Started to impact me. I was like, these people really love my wee kid. I started to see families that, um, they were, the guys were good role models in there. They were good men. Um, and I was a wee bit suspicious, but I was like, yeah, right, okay, man. <sighs> That's nice people, but it's not for me. Right? And my life kept getting darker and darker and darker. And I finally said to my dad, dad, take me down to that church. And I went down there on a Sunday. The guy in Wills preached a message and I wanted to take my dad's square go outside because I thought he'd told them everything about me. I thought my dad had told the pastor everything about me. And I was like, you flipping grass. Know what I mean? And he, my dad went, ah, like, there are 300 people in that church. It's not all about you. I'm like, aye, 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 neighbor. And uh, that's what happened. And I started getting back. They took me to this Alpha course, right? They said, come on a Tuesday night and you'll get your dinner. Now, bear in mind, I'm, I'm the biggest heroin dealer in that area. I'm absolutely stealing for the communities, for, the, for that congregation's family members. People are dying. They knew who I was and they continued to love me. I went to an Alpha course and it changed my life. It said, here, look... They said, Jesus is a real person. Every historian that ever walked this earth wouldn't argue against Jesus of Nazareth. The argument is, is was he who he said he was? Now, that blew my mind. Because I'm thinking, this might be real. <laughs> they said that this Jesus died and was crucified under the Romans. Now, I could swallow that because the Romans were brutal. And I was like, right, okay, I can see that, how Jesus would be crucified and all that. And it said that he rose again. I went, no, 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 that's enough. I'm no fun for that. That's a step too far. And then what happened was, is they talked to me about how the disciples went on to die for him. Now that got my attention. A violent person, somebody that knows about violence and that. And I started to ask myself, why would you die for something? And then they told me about Thomas. 
how when the, the risen Jesus had appeared to people, Thomas says, I'll believe it when I see it. And what happened is, is Thomas says, I'll believe it when I put my fingers in the holes that held Jesus to the cross. And when I put my fingers in his side. And know what happened? I knew there and then why they would die for something is when they had risen Christ had appeared to them. And that's the only way I would have died for it. It's when I put my fingers in the holes that held Jesus to the cross. When I knew without a shadow of a doubt that it was real, even if it was a hint of it being a lie, I wouldn't have died for it because I was too selfish. And I had lived long enough to find out that every single human being is selfish to the core of their being. And they wouldn't have been able to do that. No, maybe one of them would have been able to do it, but no every single one of them. Peter wouldn't have got crucified upside down because he was a coward before he was filled with the spirit Paul the same persecutor of Christians was willing to get his head cut off and what happened is, is I started to believe my life changed I actually found a wee video of my wee boy when he was four before this had ever happened in my life and he's got a wee guitar and a wee mic and he's singing Cornerstone in my house He's singing his da into the truth. He's singing songs of truth over his da. A wee evangelist at four year old. That, that's what happened to me. My, my wee boy led me to Christ and I went to the haven. I, this is my second time in the haven. So this story is no all good. Um, I went to the haven six years ago. That's when I met Andy. Um, and basically I met Maddie as well. Maddie was a singer at the port. Um, and um, basically, I went to the haven and I only lasted six months, but I absolutely devoured the word of God. God gave me a gift to get in about the word of God and it started to transform my life. At first, I didn't want to give up my drug dealing empire, by the way. I just wanted to get clean. But I wasn't wanting to give up all my money. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it was a process that God took me on and he spoke to me through the parable of the sower when the farmer is scattering the seeds and it's all different grounds that the seed falls on. And one of the grounds is the weeds. And it says it grows up with a plant and it stops the plant from growing. And the weeds are the worries and the cares and the riches of this life. And I met with God. I was like, oh, I can't deal drugs and be a Christian. I wanted to be a Christian and still run my drugs. But God had to speak to me through his word. God had to convict me because I wouldn't have listened to any use. I wouldn't have listened to anybody else. The impact happens when God is it speaks into somebody's heart. It's God that brings the increase in somebody's life. It's like when Lydia, it says, God opened Lydia's heart to what Paul had to say in Acts 16. So we can do our best Wolf of Wall Street preaching, but if we're not doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit, nothing's going to happen. And so... I ended up in the haven. Six months later, I went out, but I was committed to Christ. Me, my son's mother, my son, we all get baptised together on Easter Sunday. We, I, went, I went to Glasgow University. I didn't have any standard grades. I went to university, night class, access. I did theology and psychology. I got the grades I needed. I went down and done an honours degree at NTC in University of Manchester. Theology, um, my, my church, put... Um, put me in a place of position, um, gave me a local pastor's license, uh, opened charities, me and my wife and my boys served my community, but then lockdown happened. Lockdown happened and my church went online. And what I started to do was, is, um, I started to just get comfortable being sober. 
I started to start to accept no perfect, no the calling of God for my life, but I opened a plastering business and I started to want to earn a few quid again because it wasn't smack I was dealing, it was plastering. So it was all right. But what happened is, is that's not what God saved my life for. That's not why God changed me. God changed me to stand up here and tell people that it doesn't need to be that way. God changed my life so that I could tell people the gospel. And know what happened? I started to lose track. I started to pick up a wee drink, smoke a wee joint, and my, my marriage started to fall apart completely. And my marriage broke down. It was really difficult circumstances for me to accept and to swally, um, not just for me, but for everybody. And what happened is, is I went on a road of absolute bitterness again. I started to look at and blame God and say, why would you take my testimony away from me? Why would you allow my family to be destroyed? I started to really, really get sucked in with resentment against my wife, against anybody that was even associated to my wife. Like, know how that guilty by association? Anybody that even talks to them, they're part of it, and it's something like that. And I, I was absolutely consumed. I just went further and further into my plaster business, further and further into my addiction. And I, like Martin, was going to book my family home. And it was once um, a family home, a Christian family home. And basically there were only one chest of drawers, one wardrobe, but it was empty. And I was just looking for a place to kill myself. Do you know what I mean? That's the truth. I just didn't want to be here any longer. I had totally given up on God, but God hadn't given up on me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, just like Arthur said, I was unfaithful, but God remained faithful to me. Um, um, God, God's word is sure. It never returns void. When God has got you marked, you ain't getting away. You can do a Jonah like me if you want, but I'll tell you what, the quickest ways to obey, the quickest ways to surrender. And um, what I did was, is God used my wee boy again. One day, me and my wee boy are just walking across the road, and I says, what do you want to be when you grow up? He went, I want to be a police or a politician. I was like, what do you want to be what I aim for? And he just done that to me. He didn't even know what he was doing. He was, he was a loving at this time now. And he looked into my eyes, and he said, I just want to help people, Dad. And my heart just, something went, poof. And I started to, want, I knew, I was, I was thinking, I'm meeting with God here. But I'm like, I don't want to meet with you, God, or like whatever. But you know what happened? I started to ponder. I didn't let my wee boy know that what had happened. I didn't want to see, him get, see me getting upset and all that again. And I started to just say, you've got this wrong, Alec. You've changed from what you could give to what you could get. And you're chasing a plastering, you're chasing your plastering business, Alan. You should really be chasing God. You should really be chasing recovery again. You should really be chasing um, what God has got for your life. And I started to read a book that night called The Case for Christ. And it started to remind me about the reliability of the Word of God. But it's actually a historical document. It's not something that Christians have made up, it's real, it's history. It happened at a certain place, a certain time, about a real person. It's a real story. And I started to read the Gospel of Mark. I read eight chapters, and I think it's verse 36. God just spoke to me clearly. It said, what good is it if a man gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? And I just broke down. I was like, right, okay. I started to, I, I liquidated my plastering company. I shut it all down. I went back to the pastor of my church. I was still full of anger and resentment and all that. 
And what happened is, is one night, while I was um, trying to get back in a book Christianity, I woke up through the night and God was clearly saying to me, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I knew that that was in John 21. I knew that that was the words he said to Peter when Peter had denied him. And I grabbed my Bible and I started to read it. And God spoke to me and he said, feed my sheep. And I didn't really know what was happening. But I ended up back into the haven. I came into the haven. My life was externally broken. I had lost everything. I was full of anger and bitterness and resentment. I was full of fear. Andy counselled me, by the way, every single week. And um, I'm not the same guys when I walked into that haven. What happened is, is I, I started to really go in and really trust that Andy had the answer that I needed. I believed that God had put people like Andy um, into my path. And what happened is, is I started to use that. So all the other guys at the haven, go in and tell these people the truth. Um, because they'll be able to help you access the truth. And the truth will set you free. Um, so, I wish I could sit up here and say, oh, I've got all my life back externally. But I didn't. God didn't give me it back. But what he did was take me to stories in the Bible, like in Genesis 15, where Abraham was like, how am I going to get all these promises, God? I've not even got a son. Hey, my servant's going to be my son. How can this be? And then God said to him, look up, Abraham. Take your eyes off yourself, Abraham, and look up. Look up into the stars. Look up and see um, that it's me that's giving you these promises. And what happened is, is God started to speak to me and say, look up, Alec. Look up at your circumstances. He started giving me really, really strong advice. Um, I call it, like, he started to give me weapons against the heartbreak and all that I was in. Instead of me dragging people before the council and saying, look at what they've done in my life, start blaming and pointing the finger to say, if this didn't happen to me, I started to honour these people and bless them and see about the good in them. I started to pray for people that I really didn't want to pray for. I started to look up. And I wasn't looking up into a starry sky, but in fact, I was looking up at the cross of Calvary. So Abraham was actually looking at a promise that was yet to be fulfilled, and I was looking at a story that had been fulfilled. And so what I started to do was I started to transform, no externally, but internally. God started to put me right inside. This is an inside job. You can go to any rehab or you can join any holy club that will get your life together externally, but only Jesus can help you journey back into your childhood, journey back and face resentment and bitterness and fear and anger, and only God can start to put you back together inside. And that's what I'm testifying to here today. God has restored my relationship with my son tenfold, tenfold. Um, with my church, who I dirtied the waters with, God has restored me in my church. Um, the church have been so graceful, so merciful to me. Me and Andy, we had a, a chat um, with my pastor, and um, everything's really gone good with me and my church. Um, I've also struggled in the haven as well, like with my pride and my emotions and all that, and I'm not a finished article. Um, I'm not a finished article by a long shot, but do you know what? I've learned when I fall to fall into his grace because his grace is sufficient for us. It is enough. 
it is enough. God's no surprised when you make mistakes, by the way, guys. He's no sitting up with the Archangel Michael going, would you make it that with Alec? Or he's heavy surprised me there. No, he's no doing that. You don't surprise God. God knew what he was getting into when he called you. God knew what he was getting into when he called you. He doesn't see you in the state that you're in the new, but in fact he sees what you will become in him. Hallelujah for that. Um, do you know what? Just, just to finish, see my wee boy, I was so worried about my kid because of the circumstances that my kid now found himself in. Um, and basically what happened is I started to pray and say, God, I was going to leave the heaven and I say, because I thought I needed to be a dad. And God said, I'm the best babysitter you could ever ask for. He talks to me in Glaswegian, by the way. God, God knows Glaswegian. God knows Glaswegian. And uh, basically what happened is, is I started to trust God with my son. That was the hardest thing I had to do was trust God with my son. I had to surrender that God knows how to bring up my son better than Andy. Um, and what happened is, is my wee boy ended up in submerged in the Nazarene YP. He went to a, a youth camp, right? He went to a youth camp and the spirit fell in his room. He said that the leaders phoned me and they said that Sonny was asked to pray for something and he was praying things he didn't understand. He was baptised in the spirit. He doesn't even know what happened, but I know what happened. But God was honouring me. God was saying, see when you stay where I want you to be, I've got your kid. That's what he was saying, I've got your kid. See, last night, I, phoned my wee boy. I was on the phone for my wee boy, but I was on for half an hour. I'm only meant to get 15 minutes. But <laughs> sorry, Andy. Uh, but I seen the guy before me, wasn't he getting it? I was talking to my wee boy, and he was no well, and his ma was all worried and all that. And, and his ma went away, and I was on the phone, and Sonny went, Da, are you Jewish? I was like, ah, what? And he went, no, because I've got a Jewish second name. So basically, my, my family must have been Jewish one day. And um, I said, no, we're no Jewish. <laughs> I said, well, blood-bought believers know how I was going to get all technical with him. And me and my Wayne started talking about Old Testament prophecies for half an hour. Me and my Wayne on the phone. Are we guys only 12? But it was like God was really, really ministering into my heart. He's saying, I've not only got a plan for you, Alec, but I've got a plan for your wee boy. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to bring restoration that you could never even dream of or imagine into your life. And um, do you know what? But I'm just honoured. See, God, I gave up on God. And I've said this, but God never gave up on me. Do you know, see, God, God's love will pursue you. He will pursue you like the one sheep that has gone astray. I'm that sheep. I am that sheep. I was lost, but now I am found. So there you go, eh? Powerful stuff. You know, I can remember Alec leaving six years ago for the Haven, and it was a... It was a sad day for me personally because what I'd seen was somebody, like you said, who devoured the word of God and wanted to learn. And you're thinking, oof, you know, but he just had all that stuff going on outside, money and family issues and all that stuff. And it was sad. And it was just like the rich young ruler who went away sad. He walked away sad. And when he came back into the haven, I was so happy. Do you know what I mean? I was so glad. But then, as you say, the touchstone 
maybe going to leave again because of the pressures, but he stuck it out. And to sit and have that meeting with wee Shelley for the Parkhead Nazarene, wee Alec, last week, and it's like, she said something, she's like, you're an evangelist. Now, I don't think anybody here would disagree with that after hearing them speak. <laughs> but you see the gifting, the character giftings that, that God has put within him meant that. When they were turned towards a sinful response, he was an evangelist for Satan. When he had all his wee punters running about the Gallagate, selling smack, selling Charlie. But when his life is oriented towards God, he's an evangelist for him. He's an evangelist for the kingdom. So thank you for that, Alec. I'm really, I was blessed there. And then, Gus, could you come up once that finishes and just share the wee message that you've prepared? What is good? Good morning. <laughs> I would like to just initially say thank you for the opportunity for the Haven Fort Pastor, Andy, and for this beautiful church. I've been really blessed to be with you here this morning. This is a very full of life church it's absolutely beautiful to see it and to be here I was just impacted when I was there amazing to be here with you to open I would like just to say that love always wins love will always win doesn't matter what you're facing if you get the love of God with you just like we saw a son loving his dad, saw a pastor loving his people. <laughs> Remember when Martin was telling me that? He didn't give up on me. Love always wins. Don't believe the lie. The devil is lying for us every single day in the news. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie. Love always wins. And it was love who was moving Jesus. And I'm following him. If you see me here today, it's because in July 2012, I was just a wee boy praying in his room. And I heard the audible voice of God saying to me, go to Scotland. And I have to leave my work, my cars, my friends, my family, house, everything behind. Why? Because God loves you. And his love just entered in my heart. And I love Scotland. I couldn't be more happy to be standing in a Tartan church than... <laughs> and I'm telling you, I even changed my name. I used to be Augusto, now I'm Gus. <laughs> I used to be Bandeira, which means flag in Portuguese. Now I'm Mac Flag. <laughs> so after this opening, I would just like to, if you, I don't know if you have your Bible with you. I just want to share a little bit about this love movement, which is Jesus walking, showing what God is like, how, how God is how God thinks, how God sees, how God moves. In Mark chapter 5, verse 1, 
we say that Jesus went across the lake or a loch for us. Yes, to the reign of the Jezarins. I've been there. It's a nice loch. It's, it's smaller than, than Lomond, but it's a nice loch. When Jesus got out from the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains. For he had often chained and foot, hand and foot, but he tore the chains and broke them apart, the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Sometimes addiction is like that. People try to handcuff, try to stop the families, try everything. Night and day, because they tend to get night and day. Night becomes day, day becomes night, or they don't even sleep for weeks. And the tombs, so among the dead. The Bible says that the world is like dead, separated as asleep. They are not awake. So they are not the best ones to hear advice from. It's better if you get good counseling with very good Christians that are alive and mature. That you get counseling from the dead, it's not a good idea for Christians at least. So he went to the hills and would cry out and cut himself with stones. So you can see the scars in people. And they're just trying to alleviate the pain, trying to alleviate. And isolation is a very characteristic thing that you can see that happen with this man here. So you may face the same thing. The devil would definitely try to isolate you. He's not playing with you. He's not playing with Scotland. He's not playing with your family. The devil just knows how to do three things. Kill, steal, destroy. So sin is not good for you, not good for your family, not good for your body, not good for your health, not good for your city. Leave it. Verse 6 says, he saw Jesus. When you are in a dark place, it's easy when you see proper light. You can easily recognize it. Oh, that's different. From a distance, then he ran, fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted on the top of his voice, What have you done with me, Jesus? Son of the most high God. He was shouting, right? I'm just trying to make a bit more dramatic. In God's name, don't torture me. I like that. So if you're a Christian, you know what you do with the darkness. Torture them. <laughs> because you know what Jesus said? He said, I came to do one thing. Destroy the works of the devil. It's so good to hear these testimonies. Come on. Destroy the works of the devil. So when you see darkness, oh, I see, oh, that's a good thing to break. This is how I see why. Because I took some time thinking like Jesus does. 
He doesn't see darkness. He sees opportunity. So when we see someone broken, see opportunity. Because love always wins. So Jesus said to him, come out out of this man, you impure spirit. Why? Because he has authority. Why? Because he gave it to you. Maybe you don't even know you have it, but you did. If you were born again, if you got yourself reconnected to God, and you decided to confess him as your Lord and Savior with your mouth, believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, <laughs> you also have that authority. Verse 9 says, so then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion. He replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out to the area. The large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. You, if you go there in, the, in this law, you will be able to see that there are some mountains and some hills around the, 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 the loch there. So the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to get into them. Verse 13, he gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. They heard about 2,000 in number rushed down and to the steep bank into the lake or loch and went drowned. Verse 14 says, those standing the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. 15. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. Interesting, isn't it? So what happens when the community receives back an absolutely wild person, full of scars, but now stressed, painted hair, in a suit, in a graduation? How would they react? Let's see how these people reacted. They were afraid. <laughs> they didn't run to hug him and say, well done, like you did. You did well done, you applauded, yeah. That would be better for him, isn't it? He would be welcomed back to that community. But they didn't applaud anything. Can you believe it? They didn't applaud. It was like, what? Oh, oh my. Oh, my. That's dangerous. Oh, yeah, it's very dangerous. Someone seated in the right mind. Oh, very dangerous, yeah. So 16. Those who had seen it and told the people that had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pig as well. Then the people began to plea with Jesus to do what? To leave that region. What? This is so real, isn't it? There is no makeup in here. One person can have a meet encounter with Jesus and have their life completely transformed, and a full population of an area can meet with Jesus and said, Go away. And then one of the things that strikes me the most in Jesus will happen right now. And then Jesus was getting into the boat 
and the new baby born believer, clean guy, who had been demon-possessed, begged him. So the people begged him to leave the region. What does Jesus do? So if you don't want Jesus, don't worry, he's not going to push you. <laughs> so you throw just because it's good for you. <laughs> if you don't want it, he will just say, bye. And the guy asks, can I go? Let me follow you. And Jesus will do something that you probably wouldn't do. I probably wouldn't do, but he did. 19, Jesus did not let him come with him. A few hours with Jesus. But he said, go home and to your own people and tell them about how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, how much Jesus has done for him. And all the people were amazed. So if you go to the next chapter, 6, the verse 45. Actually, I will read from the 53. Yeah, the 53. When they have crossed over, they landed in Genezareth and anchored there. So it's the same region in the same loch. As, this, as soon as they got out of the boat, the people recognized Jesus. You know that one that were kicked out of this region? That one who released the demon-possessed man. He ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats whenever they heard he was. And whenever he went into villages, towns, or countryside... They placed the sick in the markets. They begged him to let at least them touch even the edge of his cloak. And who touched it were healed. Revival came to a whole area because of one single crazy man full of scars that was telling his story to his area. God has healing for Scotland. God has healing for your life. God has a, a, a lot of things to do through you. Tell your story. Tell what God did to you. What we have to share is called good news. Can you say ha ha ha? We have good news. Can you say ha, ha, ha? So we can tell good news wherever we go. And we can transform cities again. Because Scotland is the people of the book. This is the truth. I stick with the truth. I don't stick with the lie. And love always wins. Thank you. Thank you.